Today on the Zabecast, oh sure, James Harden's the league MVP. Well, you can have him. I'll take LeBron, and I'll see you and your buddies down at the park in 20 minutes. The NFL season is still two and a half months away, but why am I already getting depressed about it? And maybe someday you'll call me a Hall of Famer, though probably not. You got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Tuesday, June 26, 2018. Thank you so much for downloading. Let's get right into it. So James Harden is your NBA MVP, as expected. This was talked about and pretty much baked in the cake for a long time now. And you know what? The basketball pundits and the basketball NBA Twitter and all... The advanced metric guys will make a very strong argument for why James Harden is, in fact, uh, the MVP. That's fine. But in a season in which LeBron James played all 82 games for the first time in his career, he had career highs, I think, in rebounds and assists. He was the singular driving force to drag not only a bunch of scrubs and knuckleheads to the NBA Finals, But he actually dragged a whole different set of scrubs and knuckleheads halfway through the year. In an expansion draft, if we were to have such a thing in the NBA, whereas every player is suddenly available and we pick team names out of a ping pong ball hopper and say, okay, you're the first pick. Who do you got for one year? The first pick in that expansion draft is LeBron James, no matter what order the ping-pong balls come tumbling out when it comes to the teams. Now, would that be the case if, say, you had to say, well, you get this player in the expansion draft for five years? Uh, Probably not, because LeBron James is now in his 15th NBA season. 15th NBA season. Or just completed his 15th NBA season. But just in terms of, okay, who's the best player in the league right now? Who would you take? And the answer is LeBron James. Like, there's no need to overthink it. Yes, James Harden is a uniquely devastating scorer and shooter in the modern NBA era. He employs a series of tactics, tricks, sleight of hand, and just a general amount of, you know, what the was that, that he scores at an amazing clip. His step-back three and his crossover drive are unguardable. Unguardable even by the best of the best in the NBA. He's also very good at tricking referees into giving him free throws and you know calling fouls on plays where he'll initiate contact and then rake his hands upwards. And kudos to him. That, that, all that is great. James Harden is a great, great player. You can have him. I'll take LeBron James. You can have James Harden. Of course, it also raises now the what-ifs regarding the fact that we now have, walking backwards, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. Bing, bang, boom. The last three league MVP. Hey, wait a minute. Weren't they on the same team together? Why, yes, indeed. Once upon a time, 
They all were. This story from ESPN.com's um, Royce Young and Tim McMahon has a great passage. It was Game 3 of the 2010 Western Conference Final Round, and a bunch of early 20-somethings were going toe-to-toe with the eventual champion Los Angeles Lakers. The iconic third-quarter 8-0 run and eventual comeback win against the Lakers is now a piece of Thunder lore, showcasing a bit of each player's personality and skill. A ferocious Russell Westbrook poster, a smooth James Harden three-pointer off the catch, and a now-famous Kevin Durant dagger pull-up J a moment placed in a time capsule to remember for simpler times. It was the first ever postseason game in OKC, a chaotic energy in the arena translating into tension on the court and the game becoming more of a civic awakening than a mere competition. It was an experienced team playing a playoff institution and a small, an inexperienced team, I should say, playing a playoff institution and a small market duckling sending a message to one of the mightiest of the mighty big markets. Well, that didn't last very long now, did it? Because the three of them eventually broke up and it all started with Harden, uh, you know, kind of blossoming to the point where he was going to want big dollars and the Thunder didn't want to pay those max dollars for him. So they engineered a trade and they traded him to Houston for basically a bag of beans. It would have been interesting to see. Could the three of them share the basketball? Could the three of them stayed together all these years? And could the three of them have, you know, coexisted and won multiple championships? In the ideal world, in our own idealized fantasy notions of how sports should work, a team that captures three great talents by way of the draft should be able to keep said talents despite free agency And those three great talents should be able to mesh together and dominate by winning championship after championship after championship. That's the naive, you know, 10-year-old kid thought about how professional sports works. But as you get older and you realize the way the world works, you're like, yeah, nah, not so much. But wouldn't it have been great if the three could have stayed together? If the Rockets' ownership had said, fuck it, we're going to go way over the luxury tax here, we're going to pay through the nose, but guess what, it's worth it. And let's say the three guys had learned to coexist peaceably together, doubtful, and figure out what our role is. Three, four, five championships in a row? I mean, in theory, right? You got three league MVPs on the same team. Make it work. Starting to sound like LeBron now. Not one, not two, not three. Five Five would have been awesome. Any team, any NBA team that actually wins four in a row, then I will so totally tip my cap to say, okay, a four-peat. A modern four-peat, which I don't think has been done since the Celtics under Bill Russell. Any franchise winning more than three in a row. On to the World Cup. How's video assistant review working out for everybody? Good old VAR, otherwise known as Replay. Here's the headline from SI.com. Spain, Portugal emerged from World Cup group after influential use of VAR. Jonathan Wilson writes, after a tournament in which VAR had worked remarkably smoothly... 
there came the first real controversy in its use. Two penalties awarded and a yellow card shown to Cristiano Ronaldo that perhaps should have been a red. Oh, really? Replay did not get things perfect? It did not calm people's frustrations or give a sense of justice and fairness to a sporting event? (laughs) I'm shocked! Ronaldo's contribution... SI writes, had been limited in the match. There were some wildly speculative long-range shots and some incredulous grinning when he, didn't, when he did not get free kicks and corners nine minutes into the second half. Then a burst from the left that took him past Morteza Poralidjanji before a collision with Saeed Ezatolahi. This is uh, Portugal versus Iran. It probably was a penalty, but it wasn't an entirely unrealistic interpretation to suggest that Ronaldo had simply run into the Iranian midfielder. Initially given the Paraguayan referee Enrique Cacheris, uh decided that he would not give the penalty, after a VAR review, he did give it, much to the fury of the Iranian side. As a number of players surrounded the referee, Eshan Hajsafi was booked while Queiroz, who is not merely a Portuguese, but a former Portugal manager, and one who has a tense relationship with both Ronaldo and Pepe, tossed his jacket to one side and stalked off down the tunnel. Uh, Let's see, let me go back and pick up Queiroz. Queiroz is the manager, I'm sure, for Iran. Scanning, scanning, Quaresmo, Queiroz, didn't read that, okay, fine. Maybe he goes by one name like a lot of these soccer guys do, stormed off down the tunnel. It was all rather unedifying, an extension of the bizarre sense they had been cheated, Iran had, after their defeat to Spain. Yet goalkeeper Alareza Berenvand, who ran away from his nomad shepherd family at 12 to become a footballer, that's a great story, saved the penalty. Queros returned to the technical area, Guess that's the bench area, and is and his and in his excitement, Sandar Azmoun got himself booked for further descent. So there's cards going, yellow card, yellow card, all over the place. This is where VAR remains a problem, writes Jonathan Wilson of SI.com. Oh, it's still a problem. VAR replay still a problem. I, I thought this solved things. 20 minutes after the Ronaldo penalty, Asmoon went down in the box after a nudge from William Carvalho. It was probably not a foul, but equally it does not help a side in the grip of persecution complex when it sees one incident being reviewed and another not reviewed. Tensions were then raised. There were wild tackles, wilder dives, and a disgraceful moment of play acting from Quaresma. Yes, that's what video replay does. It makes things worse. It gets in there and it warps the very fabric of a game. In other words, there was a review earlier that, oh, okay, let's give a penalty to the, uh, you know, uh, in favor of Portugal. And then there's another what looks like a penalty and it's not even reviewed. So you're getting into arguments about what is and is not reviewed now all of a sudden. Then Ronaldo and Portugalani tangled. My, my lips are, my tongue is tangled. At first, it seemed to be nothing, but Kacharis decided to look at the video. 
Oh, boy. Ooh, here we go. Here we go. Again and again he watched, and the more the footage was shown, the more it began to be clear that Ronaldo had thrust his elbow into the Iranian's face. In the face! And that is another issue with VAR, writes SI.com. Slow motion can make the mundane seem violent and vice versa. Really? Another issue with video replay? 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 Hmm. What was baffling, though, was Kacharis' decision. Either it was an accident, and so no action should have been taken, or it was a violent conduct and a red card. Instead, the referee, Kacharis, showed yellow. An inexplicable compromise. Oh, no, 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 it's not inexplicable. Let me explain it to you. What happened was, in the real world, it looked like a play-on that might have been a bit of a jostle. Once you went into the video review, though, you start seeing things like, hey, it looks like Ronaldo cracked this guy right in the face with an elbow. Technically, that's a red card, but it wasn't that bad of an elbow to the face. Of course, what should I do? I can't call nothing. Iran is pissed off because they think this match is somehow rigged against them. Okay, let me split the baby and give a yellow. The next line is the most priceless line of this entire story and encapsulates every point I've been making about replay in sports for a long time now. And I believe we're finally making progress our side. This will all go away at some point. I'm convinced of this. So after, after that inexplicable compromise, here's the next line in the story. That did nothing to dampen Iranian tempers. <laughs> Of course not! Of course! So at this point, all the use of video review, all the stoppages in play, has done nothing to calm the fears of both sides that the game is being officiated in a proper manner. Kacheras then spent essentially the rest of the final quarter of the game surrounded by angry players on both sides. Yes, I love this in World Cup soccer and in all soccer is when the referee just constantly gets surrounded and yelled at during brief stoppages in play. In the final minute, he was then persuaded to look at an incident in which Azmoun's header brushed the arm of Cedric Suarez, who was no more than two feet from him. The referee by then seemed a broken man and wearily gave a ludicrous penalty. Kareem Ansafard converted brilliantly on the free kick, which I like to call a free goal because it basically is. At the precise same time, news came through that Aegio Aspas had stolen a late equalizer for Spain against Morocco and Portugal with two controversial penalties, one saved and one scored, had squandered the top spot in the group. After 11 days in which VAR had been hailed as an obvious success, this was the other side. A half in which it was used for three major decisions may not have gotten any of them right and demonstrably led to an increase in dissent from both players and managers. In other words, it was a grade A goat screw. (laughs) So how do we score that? Like, If you are still for replay, do you go, okay, put that abortion of the second half of Iran versus Portugal aside because that was a clusterfuck. But guess what? Replay is still good. It's still getting things right. It's doing good. It's just, it's just continues. 
Hashtag vote Solly. Today is a big day in my friend and producer and longtime radio partner of sorts, Mr. Steve Solomon's life. Today is election day for the Montgomery County Council at large uh, in the home county where he currently lives, Montgomery County, Maryland. As people who listen to my show in D.C. understand by now, because he's been pimping the shit out of it at, at times to my extreme exhaustion, uh, he is uh, he's running for uh, county council. And he started this uh, whole process about three quarters of a year ago. And it, it has been the most interesting thing for me to watch. And by the way, I want him to win. And by the way, I don't know what's going to happen to him on my show locally if he does win. I know he says, oh, no, I can do both. I can do both. The meetings are in the morning. He might have to quit the SB Nation AM show, but he's insisting, like, I can do both. Well, I haven't really taken scope of, well, you know, what are your commitments if you were to win on this, you know, know, Montgomery County Council seat? You know, are you going to be fully committed to my show as producer? You know, at some point, (laughs) I want a producer whose dream job is to be my producer. Solly's dream job is to be Montgomery County Councilman, and I support him in that dream. But at some point, everyone's got to make a choice, and somebody has to zig or zag. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if he even has a chance today when it's all said and done. But by tomorrow morning, we will know whether or not we can call him Mr. Councilman. I think it'd be a a wonderful story. I'd be super happy for him. I'm sure it pays more than radio. Radio pays absolutely zilch for people that are the support people, producers, and underlings, if you will. And Sally has been doing this for me for honestly too long. Had I been smart, had I been humane, I would have fired him or just said, you know, you've got one more year of doing this. Then you got to do something else. Because it's, it's no good to have a guy grow into his adulthood years, what should be his prime earning years, late 30s, early 40s, and still be making a radio producer's salary. No matter how much you might say, no, nah, but I like it and it's okay and I'm, I live, you know, frugally and I'm, you know, I don't spend much. It's, it's, there's a larger point of this is a producer in radio is a young man's gig for the most part. It's rare to find radio producers that are in their 40s or much less 50. You might find them in um, television where the pay scale is a little bit different and you know, the medium is different, but in radio it's really not the case. But I'm proud of Solly. He put himself out there for a guy that would tell me and Scott for years, none of your business. When we would ask him simple questions like, so do you have a girlfriend? None of your business. So where do you live? None of your business. Can we come over and watch the game? None of your business. Uh, what'd you watch last night? None of your business. He was Mr. None of your business. He was living a Ted Kaczynski lifestyle. He has put himself out there in this last year. He has knocked on doors, which I couldn't do. Like, he should be selling something. If he's willing to knock on doors going, hi. Steve Solomon from Montgomery County Council. He even put on a suit for a couple of videos he recorded. He has gone to uh, debates. He has stood outside at polling places. He has spent, he told me, $7,000 of his own money on this campaign. He did say he got $2,000 donated to him. So for those that donated to vote Solly, way to go. Good job. He wants this. He wants this bad. I want this bad for him. What it'll mean for the future if... He wins. I don't know. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Let's let's win this thing first. So 
If you are, it's noon when this uh, podcast drops today. If you are in Montgomery County, Maryland, please go vote. Vote Steve Solomon. And let's keep our fingers crossed. The NFL season is still two and a half months away. And it dawned on me as all these referee retirements came down and the Jameis Winston story popped up. It dawned on me that there is nothing good that has been introduced for the upcoming 2018 NFL season. There's nothing that fans are like, oh man, you know what? I can't wait for that this year. Nothing that I can think of. Now, if I'm wrong, let me know and point out, hey, don't forget about this. Almost everything is is a slight negative as the league continues to get to a point where it's getting harder and harder to love it as much as we otherwise should. And by the way, (laughs) I'm not going to say, I'm not watching anymore. And if you're going to tell me via email or text or phone call that you don't watch anymore because of this, that, or the other, that's fine if you want to tell me that. First of all, I don't really believe you. Not really. I think you're probably exaggerating. But secondly, I still love tackle football to you know the top of my heart, the actual game itself, the sport itself, the league. Oh, the league. You know what we say, this league gets to wear on you, and it has been in this offseason. So let's look at the offseason here. What has the NFL done? First of all, they have mutilated the kickoff to the point where I don't even know what it's going to look like by the time you know we actually see it on the field. Some articles have said it might be more exciting. There might be more long returns because of these new rules. I don't know. But the kickoff has been given radical surgery, radical life-saving surgery, and if, God forbid, there's two concussions this year on kickoffs, that's it. The kickoff is out. Secondly, this new lowering your head rule is going to be a disaster. It, it just is. There's no doubt in my mind. They have not even defined what they are or are not going to call to a degree that I feel comfortable. I, I've seen the videos saying, well, here's what's going to be lowering your head. Here's what's not. Wait until the rubber hits the road. Wait until games are on the line. Wait until they make that call, lowering your head, 15-yard penalty. After a big play in the fourth quarter with less than two minutes to play, that has basically tilted the outcome of the game. Show me that first, and then I'll say, okay, well, at least they're applying it correctly. You got these referee departures. I mean, Hockley is gone, dagger. Sterator gone, dagger. McCauley, who has been okay. I loved how Terry McCauley would get very pissed off. You could see it in his face when when a football game would get a little bit sideways and a little bit hectic. He'd he'd get pretty angry. McCauley was in that group of B-level guys who was pretty good, a veteran. All three guys take TV jobs. Jeff Triplett. uh, We get rid of Jeff Triplett, which was an improvement of the refereeing staff. And then we lose three otherwise good guys, two of the best in Hockey League and Steratore. The games are going to be more poorly officiated this year. There's no question about it. Because the two best guys that could keep a grip on the game and would really understand the rules and know how to apply them, unlike Triplett, are gone. So that's not good right there. The anthem issue is not only not solved and behind us, it's maybe worse than ever. And there are more grievances and more lawsuits being filed. And then there's the Jameis Winston situation. Now, I'm not saying, ah, let's overlook what could be a sexual assault in order to just let him play. But guess what? 
it's how it's handled. And the more we find out about, well, there was some bad shit in there, but the NFL didn't want to investigate. And then if Jameis Winston gets half the suspension of Tom Brady, that's going to add another level of bitterness fans have towards this league that just is not a league that handles matters on a level and logical basis. That said, ah, football, I cannot wait. So the Lakers have scripted a pitch for Chris Paul as their free agent to be. Here's the story. This is from SI.com. Where's the byline? Why don't they have bylines? This might be fonted here. Uh, But here's the pitch the Lakers are planning to give to Chris Paul. Take a listen. Where Paul George lands will be a key domino in NBA free agency. This morning, a Hollywood source contacted me with new information on how the Lakers might be attempting to woo the all-star forward. The source gave Sports Illustrated a script for a voiceover audition the Lakers are soliciting for a, quote, industrial video looking to record sometime this week, right before teams can begin contacting free agents. The audition directions call for, in part, less Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, and more Jamie Foxx. A bit more edge. And- well, uh, do, do you want the real Jamie Foxx? Because we could maybe call him. Less Morgan Freeman slash Denzel Washington, more Jamie Foxx. Attitude to their voice and a bit less aspirational. Obvi- less aspirational, huh? Interesting. Obviously, none of that is me. But here's the script entitled Two Dreams. When you were just a kid in your room dreaming from Palmdale, we were dreaming too. While you dreamt, we built, built for your arrival. And while we dreamt, you built too, becoming one of the world's greatest. Life's most powerful dreams are the ones we realize ourselves, the ones that turn us into legends. That kid from Palmdale always knew it. Now the world will too. Paul George happens to be from Palmdale, California. Oh, really? Personally, wow. I think we might get LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard too would be a better pitch. But we'll see if this works. <laughs> An industrial video. Is, is, is that necessary now? LeBron James apparently has told people that he does not want to hear elaborate pitches. Uh, once Friday comes and he opts out, we expect him to opt out of his uh, option with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He does not want to hear these big, long-winded pitches. He's not going to travel the country. He's not going to hole up somewhere and have people come to him. Uh, like, you know, those people coming to see the king to present him with gifts. Dilly dilly to the pit of misery for LeBron James. But yeah, may, maybe, wouldn't it be great if after the pitch, if if Chris Paul had said, I don't know, it sounded like kind of, sounded like Jamie Foxx. It was like a Jamie Foxx sort of a voice. And I, I was really kind of hoping it'd be maybe more aspirational. <laughs> You know, the Lakers fucked this up once already when apparently they made a pitch to LaMarcus Aldridge before he went to the Spurs in which they pitched him on, you're going to be a star, man, star, L.A., I love L.A., and, you know, the celebrities and the lifestyle, and they didn't realize that LaMarcus Aldridge was all about, like, the basketball and the team, and so he's like, ah, yeah, uh, is the team any good? So, good luck, Lakers, on that industrial video pitch. I hope you get Jamie Foxx. The real Jamie Foxx. Bad contracts. They are a fact of life in sports. As a matter of fact, there's a huge bad contract that the 
Um, Thunder had to, you know, watch get exercised. That would be uh, one Carmelo Anthony who opted into his one-year player option, $27.5 million deal for 2018. Holy shit. That is a, whoo boy, that is a terrible contract right there. But hey, at some point, somebody thought it was a good idea. In baseball, there's a lot of bad contracts out there right now. There always are, but maybe now more than ever. Kyle Coster of TheBigLead.com has a listicle of them. You have to click through page by page. Got to get them page views. Albert Pujols is on there. Now, I always thought Pujols, while signing that huge deal, 10 years, $240 million. Everyone knew that that thing was going to go bad sort of like Chinese food left unsealed in one of those takeout boxes in your fridge after about three days. But for the first four or five years of that deal, Pujols, for the most part, delivered, at least at the plate. They didn't have team success necessarily, but he was delivering. Now we're in year seven of that 10 for 240 deal, and it, it's getting very heavy. Angels will pay him $28 million in 2019, $30 million next year, $31 million in 2021. And at that time, Pujols will be 41 years old. That is a oof of a contract right there. Ryan Zimmerman here in D.C. has a big one. He's currently in the fifth year of a six-year $100 million deal. Uh, only one of those seasons saw good production. Injuries have plagued Zimmerman, and so even though it's not as expensive of a deal as, say, Pujols, it's been a heavy, heavy lift. Of course, it was the same way with Jason Wirth, but this is the cost of doing business. James Shields, big game James, currently in the third year of a four-year, $75 million deal with the White Sox. He's 11-28 and 28 with a 5.57 ERA for the White Sox. His war is sub-zero. He's 2-9 and nine this year. Oof. Absolutely Positively terrible contract. Homer Bailey for the Reds. Fifth year of a six-year 105 contract. 18-23 and 23 since signing it. On pace for yet another year of an ERA that is six-plus. Had a negative war in three straight seasons. Poised to do it again. Oof. Bad contract. Joe Maurer, Minnesota Twins. Final year of an eight-year $184 million deal. He stopped playing catcher back in 2013, has been playing in the power positions of first base and DH since then. As a thought experiment, writes Coster, guess what you think he's done production-wise over that time? Go look and see yourself to compare how it, uh, how it compares to perception. Wild, wild stuff. Uh, I don't have those numbers. I'll have to go look for myself. But trust me, he has not produced on that front. And then Hanley Ramirez, the guy who was just falsely accused of being involved in some drug sting. The Boston Red Sox paid Hanley Ramirez $22 million to play baseball this year. He was cut on June 1st. So that works out to about $128,000, per official at bat. Good work if you can get it as the saying goes. The Radio Hall of Fame finalists have been announced. All hail Mike and Mike, Mike Francesa, and the fabulous sports babe. hoo As inductees to the 2018 class of the National Radio Hall of Fame. 
The inductions this year include other non-sports personalities, such as Fred Jacobs. I have no idea who that is, by the way. Uh, I have no idea who that is. Mark Levin, conservative talk show host. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who I thought should have been in a long time ago. Apparently not making it, and I do think he was up for induction. Uh, Jim Rome, that's right, Romy, stiffed. The articles I've read does not say who was up for consideration but did not make it in. Of course, you know, Francesa, I mean, he is going to milk this for all it's worth. Or maybe he'll humble brag it and say, well, you know, no big deal. Yeah, I, I, I don't worry about those, uh, those kind of things, those whatevers. Mike and Mike, okay. I mean, sure, sure. Does it make me bitter that once upon a time I sat in with Mike Golick in the fall of 1999 at ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut when I was in between gigs, having just been fired in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was doing weekends at ESPN Radio back in 99 when ESPN Radio was an afterthought. The literally, it was a broom closet, not literally, but it was a studio the size of a broom closet in which we worked. Um... Tony Bruno had just sort of flamed out because uh, he was doing it with Golic, I believe, at the time. He had some dispute and left, and they were uh, trying to figure out what to do, and I was up there doing weekends. They said, yeah, go, why don't you go do a couple morning shows with uh, Mike Golic? And I did them, and they went pretty well for the most part. And they didn't offer me the job opposite Mike Golic. I would have to change my name to Mike Zabin. But you know, they did like me enough up there. Len Weiner, then the program director at ESPN, they wanted to, to make me an offer, and they wanted me to come on up there and work for ESPN Radio. And at the time, I just <laughs> I wasn't feeling it. And I ended up moving uh, to D.C. with my wife and then starting to work at WTEM in D.C. And I'm happy with how things worked out, make no mistake. And I'm not sure how far I would have gone had I taken the full-time job offer, whatever that would have been. I, 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 we didn't even get to the point where, okay, you want to hire me, huh? Because I was just doing weekend work. Uh, I don't know what that would have looked like. It's impossible to say, and I'm not sure that I would have. Could I have worked hard to get that morning shot with Mike Golick? Could I have changed my name to Mike Zabin? Could I have been the Mike and Mike? Could I be a National Radio Hall of Famer right now? I doubt it, but whatever. Good for those guys, Uh, and the fabulous sports babe. I mean, I don't know how they invite. There's two ways, apparently, to get into the National Radio Hall of Fame. And one is by a vote of the NRHOF election committee. And then there is another way to get in on straight balloting in which you as the host have to encourage your listeners to go ahead and vote for you, which becomes then sort of a social media bot campaign to get people to somehow go and click and vote for you to be in the Hall of Fame. Whatever. To me, the the Radio Hall of Fame is being able to pay the bills and raise a family while in radio. That right there, you're a Hall of Famer. And even though Jim Rome, fellow UC Santa Barbara alum, gaucho, even though he did not make it this time, uh, he owns horses, like racehorses, big-time racehorses. Uh, Jim Rome is in the only Hall of Fame that matters, which is the I'm rich as fuck Hall of Fame. So I don't know if he I don't know if he took it hard like man I didn't get in how could how could that be the case? But uh 
Eh, maybe someday. Interesting question posed today by Bomani Jones, host of High Noon with Pablo Torre on his Twitter feed. And the question was simply, how far do I have to scroll down on this thing for some good news? And I thought, well, there is no good news on that thing known as Twitter. In fact, one of the first responses was, scroll to the bottom where you can find the button to close this app. There's your good news right there. Twitter and other social media is not designed for good news. It is not designed for understanding. It is not designed to bring people together and promote harmony. It's a 140-character rock fight. Now with more rocks. Now you get 240 rocks in a tweet to go throw at somebody. Good news and good things. You know, good news does not come via that stupid app. Good news and feel-good stories come... You know, when you walk out your door in the morning and you smile at somebody walking their dog, and it's a genuine, pleasant exchange. Good news is when you help somebody out at work who's having a tough day. Good news is when you have a great conversation with somebody in your family, whether it's your mom or dad or sister, about life. Good news and life itself is me throwing my Kong Frisbee to young Tucker, who bounds after that frisbee with the most amazing speed and i can hear his paws thumping as he jumps off the ledge of the upper terrace where my porch is into briefly the sand trap that i have where i can practice sand shots i haven't practiced them in forever it doesn't matter but uh he bounds off the ledge of the upper terrace i'll try to get a video of this bounce off the ledge of the upper terrace and then streaks out into the field onto the acreage and tracks down the frisbee as I throw it as hard as I can. And if I angle it just right so it floats perfectly, he can run under it and then he'll jump up and catch it. That's life. That's perfection. That's beauty. That's good news. That's living. None of this shit on Twitter is life. This is a good one here. 90-year-old selling his golf ball collection for charity. 90-year-old Minnesotan R.J. Smith has been diagnosed with cancer. This is sad. But he's 90. He's lived a pretty darn good life. He does not know how much the cancer has spread, does not know how much time he has left. But hey, at 90, he probably already thought every day is a blessing. So he decided that he needs to sell his golf ball collection. Okay, good idea. And he's going to sell it, and he's going to... uh, Donate the proceeds to charity. Perfect. Beautiful. Oh, did I mention his golf ball collection is 70,000 golf balls strong? They sit in 460 milk crates in his garage. He began gathering all this ammunition when he was an 11-year-old caddy. All but for a, a stint in World War II, he never stopped collecting golf balls. Whoa. Before you go, is he going to sell the entire batch in one sale? Is he going to um, let people look through it to see what rare, precious nuggets might be in there? Now, it's unlikely that there is a golf ball of real vintage or real value if he's only been collecting golf balls for 80 years. Because even... A vintage golf... I mean, there might be. I'm not a golf ball collector, but you're not going to find a, a gutta-percha golf ball that he found on a golf course 
It's unlikely, but it's a collection of 70,000 golf balls. I would love to rummage through them and just see. I, uh, I have a decent smattering of vintage golf balls that I've got displayed in a case in my basement and some real old golf balls. By really old, I mean 60s, 70s. There might be a golf ball from the 50s in my rack. I'd have to take a closer look, but it's cool just to look at them and their yellowed state with their weird dimples and odd names and all that stuff. You can get old golf balls, modestly old golf balls, like, like the ones that I have, for fairly cheap if you go to a golf show. Usually in the spring, cold weather cities, they'll have golf shows run through town and there'll be exhibitors there. And you could probably find somebody there that has a bunch of not, not vintage golf balls, but old golf balls that could look cool if you were to collect them and maybe put them in a display or use them or something like that. But I'd love to go through this guy's uh, golf ball collection. Just see what he has. And we'll end on this one today. Huzzah, huzzah. Congratulations, Saudi Arabia. One more step into the 21st century for you. Saudi women are now allowed to drive. A long-standing ban on them driving was lifted at midnight the other day, ushering in a historic moment for women in the country who had been denied this privilege for a long time. They'd been at the mercy of their husbands, fathers, brothers, and other drivers for transportation. The ban had relegated women to the back seat of cars, restricting when they could meet friends, where they could spend their time, and how they could plan out their day. Said one Mabkatua Almari, quote, it feels beautiful. It was a dream for us when it happens in reality. It was a dream for us, so when it happens in reality, I'm between belief and disbelief between a feeling of joy and astonishment. Her first little jaunt driving in Saudi Arabia to go to a drive-thru and order coffee on her way to work. Absolutely. The simple joys of, I'm in a car, I can go wherever the fuck I want. It's the same kind of joy I remember feeling when I was a teenager and first got my official permit. My parents were like, okay, be safe. And Nowadays, kids don't seem to like driving as much as we did. They're, you know, I hate to say this, sounds like get off my lawn. They're on their damn phones. They're playing Fortnite, these guys, these guys and girls. But yeah, I, uh, I know the feeling. And yeah, congratulations, Saudi Arabia. You're, you're one step closer. Long list of stuff still to bring you into the 21st century where you treat your women folk on, on equal footing as your men. But hey, at least this is start. All right, man, look at the time. It's flown by. I've had so much fun just talking to you, just me. I think every week I'll do a one me, one show that's a me show. Not that I don't like our rotating panel of guests and not that I'm not going to bring in other people outside the rotating panel of guests, but I think once a week, maybe you and me just need to sit down and have a good old podcast. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and hit up that Reddit thread about how great this is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe to all the major outlets that you know and love. And remember, the left-hand lane, ladies in Saudi Arabia, the left-hand lane on most roads, most highways, is also known as the overtaking lane, which means if you ain't passing nobody, then get the F out of the left lane and let people who need to get somewhere do just that. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.